0: Amen. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus that gives us victory. We're going to be talking a little bit about that today. So I want us all to stand in honor of God's word. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14. We're going to read from 53 to 65. Hear the word of the Lord. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet, Even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood in the midst of this and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is this that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him. And they covered their face to strike him and said, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Lord, we love you. God, I I pray, Lord, that we would see what you said about yourself. And God, that we would see that it is true today. And it is true from the beginning. And it will be true forevermore. And God, that we would allow this truth, Lord, to change who we are. In your name, we pray. Amen. Uh, One thing that you should uh, you should know about me is that I, I I love movies, and I love to watch movies at home, and I love to watch movies in the theaters, and I like to talk about movies and if i really like a movie i'll buy it and i'll watch that movie over and over and over again and i and i even get to the point where i enjoy these movies so much that i start to use lines in the movie in my everyday life, I don't know if you guys do that, where you, you take a line from a movie that you love and you're talking with your friends and then all of a sudden you use that line and if they've seen the movie, it's great, if they haven't, then you're like, well, I look like an idiot, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's a good time. And there are some lines in these movies that are just iconic. You think of the movie and you think of that line and you're like, yes, and it points you back to a story and they become so ingrained in your mind that we we just use them within our in our culture. And uh, oftentimes I I meet people and I say hi, my name is Luke. And guess what their response is to me? Anybody guess? Luke. I am your father. I'm like, "Oh, you're a comedian." Ha <laughs> ha. You, you come up with that yourself, huh? You know, Luke, I am your father. We come back and we think about this, this story. And so I kind of want to see uh, if we have a, a, a movie crowd here today. And I'm going to do a, a line and maybe see if you guys can finish it. Or if you can guess the movie. This one might be for the younger people. Anybody? What is that? Hunger Games. Good job. Yes, the Hunger Games. Everybody else is like, what are we talking about here? All right. Let's see if you guys can finish this quote. Uh Uh-oh. Next slide, please. (laughs) Yeah, my mama always said, like a box of chocolates. Very good. You're going to need a bigger boat. Good job. Every time the bell rings... Very good. I didn't hear any of the teens on that one. <laughs> That's old. Is that black and white filter? What is that? Yeah, that was a movie. So we hear these these, these lines in the movie, and it points us back to a story. Every time the bell rings an angel gets its wings. Oh, we're talking about It's a Wonderful Life. I love that. I love that movie, you know. And they become so ingrained in our culture that we would use it and you'd kind of know what they were saying when they said that. And we know them because it's over and over and over again. Now, with that in mind, we're coming back to the story that we just read in Scripture. And Jesus, Jesus is in this culture where And he's amongst these people who have read the Old Testament over and over and over again. And he kind of takes an iconic line in a couple of scriptures and he says it. And just as I told you those few lines it snapped and you knew the story that we were talking about. In the same way, Jesus tells these lines and they knew exactly what he was talking about. Now, when I said it, I didn't hear anybody go like, oh, I know what Jesus was talking about, right? Because why? It's not really in our culture. But when I hear, Luke, I am your father. Oh, he's talking about Star Wars, right? And so Jesus, Jesus says this iconic quote. And before we get back into the story, just uh, we're going to rewind a little bit. Jesus had just had the Last Supper with his disciples. He had been in the Garden of Gethsemane and was praying to God that his will would be done, understanding that that would cost his life. His disciple Judas had just betrayed him and turned him into the servants of the high priest. And all of his disciples have fled, except for Peter, but even Peter is standing in a distance he doesn't want to be too close to Jesus doesn't want to be seen with him and right after this he denies him three times so it tells us that the high priest and the chief priests and the elders and the scribes were all there this is the religious elite this is the top dogs and they've all come together and they are there for the sole purpose of coming up with enough evidence to crucify Jesus to get him killed. Now, they don't have the actual authority to give Jesus the death penalty. They are under the rule of Rome, so they couldn't come up with it and kill him themselves. They had to come up with evidence, bring it before Pilate, and then Pilate would have to make the decision if he was actually worthy of death. And so they're coming and they're trying to collect evidence on him. Can you imagine how hard it would be to collect evidence against Jesus? The perfect man, right? Like, they're trying to say all these bad things about him. Remember that time when he healed the person? Oh, well, remember that time when he raised somebody from the dead? Uh, oh, oh. They're trying to come up with evidence against the perfect guy. And Mark makes it so, so, so clear that they ain't got nothing on Jesus. We'll read this again from verse 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Mark says, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Even the false testimony, they couldn't get together with a good story. Even what they were saying against each other didn't make sense. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with human hands. Did Jesus say something about the temple being destroyed? Yes. But Jesus didn't say, I'm going to destroy the temple. He didn't say that. It was going to be an act of judgment. It was an act of God. He didn't say, I'm going to destroy this temple. Jesus never said that. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Jesus didn't say that either, (laughs) but they are speaking truth in a way they don't even understand. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked, have you no answer to make? And what are these men testifying against you? And what does Jesus do? He just keeps quiet. (laughs) Well, you said you were going to destroy the temple. These accusations are not even worth, like, no, I didn't, you know? (laughs) He's just being quiet and letting them, like, you know, if people talk long enough, the truth is going to come out, right? you get your parents and you get the two kids there together and one saying this and the other saying that, somebody's not going to make sense and somebody's going to get busted. That was usually me getting busted. Right? But Jesus, what does it say? Jesus doesn't say a word. And if you've read the Old Testament, you might be thinking in your mind, oh, this is, this is the prophecy, right? Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Isaiah prophesied this a long, long time ago. Jesus is having all these accusations against him, and he just is quiet. And so people are making these false accusations about Jesus and Jesus just keeps being quiet. He doesn't say anything. And the high priest has heard accusation after accusation after accusation and they're not making sense. And person after person is coming to him and Jesus doesn't say anything. And finally, the high priest is kind of fed up with it. He says, aren't you going to say anything? And Jesus is, no. He doesn't even say no, he's just silent. And so this finally gets to the priest, and he finally just flat out asks him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now, if you're a Jew, you really... <laughs> the irony of this question is so great. Because he says, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? He's saying blessed there because he does not want to use the name of God directly, right? So they would have kind of a nickname. They knew who they were talking about, God. A nickname, yeah. So they knew who they were talking about, God. But they had so much reverence for God that they would not say God. So they would say Son of the Blessed, knowing that they were talking about God. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now he has so much like... Love for the law and so much zeal for that, that he would not say God, but yet he is willing to crucify an innocent man. And this is why Jesus in Matthew says that they were willing to strain a gnat and yet swallow a camel, right? They they won't say God, but they will crucify the Son of God. It's very ironic. And so they said, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And it's at this point that we come back into full circle to my point that we were talking about. And Jesus gives these iconic quotes. Are you guys ready for them? Listen. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said... I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Nobody was like, ah! <laughs> you, you guys didn't get very excited about that. <clears throat> Let me read again. Alright. <laughs> Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Whoa, hey, okay, there's some people who know, you know, the rest of you. Oof. You guys got to get excited. Whoa, this is, this is something. Anybody confused the what he's talking about? I didn't know for a long time. And it's just, as I've been reading it, I'm like, oh, this is, this is really cool. As soon as he said that, they would have gone exactly to what we're going to go through today. You know what the high priest did when he heard this? He was so angry that he tore his clothes. Ah, Like, what did he just say that would cause this type of reaction? And how far have we missed it that when I read it, we're just... (laughs) So we're going to go over that today. Again, Jesus said you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. So I want to break this down. And the first one that I want to go over is, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Now, if you would go to your Bible, if you want to, the Psalm 110, uh, chapter 110, verse 1, you will see where this iconic saying come from, seated at the right hand. So, uh, I think... Yes. So here it is. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So when we read this at the beginning of Psalm 110, you're going to see that this was written by who? That this was written by King David. And King David is a man after God's own heart. We know that for the Jewish people... When they thought of the good old days, when they thought of the greatest king that they had ever had in their history, they thought of King David. King David is the very top king. And David writes this psalm, and it tells us earlier from the scripture that I read in Mark, that Jesus said it was uh, delivered by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit spoke to David, and David wrote this psalm, and it says, The Lord says to my Lord, So the Lord, God, says to my Lord, King David's Lord, the Lord says to my King David's Lord, the one that I serve, sit at my right hand. And so we have the top king, and he's under this guy who he calls Lord, who's under this guy who's... God himself, and this God is saying to the Lord, sit at my right hand. And King David's there listening in on this conversation. The Lord said to my Lord, you sit at my right hand. He's not saying, David, you come sit at my right hand. He's saying, my Lord, you come sit at my right hand. Everybody get it? All right. Hey, that's good. What is this saying? We know that the Messiah was to come out of the line of David. But this king was not just to come by an ordinary king. This Lord that David's talking about here is not just some ordinary king. You would have to be more than a man to sit at the right hand of God. Right? This is somebody different. And he says to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand." So we know it's supposed to come. The Messiah is supposed to come out of the lineage of David. But how is it going to be that a man is going to sit at the right hand of God? What is this actually going to look like? It's going to have to be somebody different. It can't just simply be another king. And so we come back to this story when the high priest asked Jesus, "Are you the Christ, or Christ meaning the Messiah?" Jesus not only says, yes, I'm the Messiah, not just saying king, but he goes further and says, and you will see me seated at the right hand of God. Whoa! Hold up. Did Jesus just say that? That Jesus was pointing back and he's saying that he's the Lord of King David and this is the Lord that's going to sit at the right hand of God? Yes. That's what Jesus said. Yeah, that's funny. That's what Jesus said. He is the one who's not just some ordinary king. He's not just some ordinary person that comes from this line of David, although he did that, do that. He came from the line of David, but he was more than just a man. He is the God-man. And he alone was able to sit at the right hand of God. So now when you read that, you might be a little more excited next time we hear it, okay? You're like, oh, hey, yeah, okay. Now I get where we're going, all right? So, Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm not only the Messiah, the King, but I'm the King of Kings. Well, it looks like there's some of you that are smiling like oh, this is great, <laughs> and then there's other of you like I don't care. Well, let's keep going and maybe this will excite you some more. All right, so we're we'll continue with the response of Jesus. Are you the Son of God or the Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Okay, and Jesus responds. This time we're going to focus on this. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated. At the right hand of power. Okay, so the Lord's under my Lord seated at the right hand. So he's talking about that. The Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. What, what does that mean? What is Jesus saying there? And in this response, Jesus says, This: You will see the Son of Man. Did you know, I did not know this for the longest time, that the Son of Man, when Jesus talks about himself, he uses the Son of Man over and over again. People call Jesus the Messiah. Jesus never says that about himself. Some people might say, are you the Messiah? And he'll kind of be like, yeah, but not the way that you think. But every time when Jesus describes himself, he says, I am the Son of Man. You will see the Son of Man, the Son of Man. You see the Son of Man, that title, 81 times in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're going to see that every time that Jesus is describing himself, the Son of Man. And do we even know what that means? I didn't. And so it must be pretty important if Jesus keeps using this title for himself over and over and over again. 81 times he uses this title for himself. So I think we should kind of know where, like, what is Jesus talking about? The Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. What? What is he saying? And so to answer that question, we have to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And y'all, you're all just going to have to hold on tight because this chapter is weird. Okay? Okay? It is a weird chapter. So in this, in this chapter, we have the, the, the main character, Daniel, and he is in the city of Babylon. He was once in Israel. Babylon comes and takes him from his home. He is now in exile, and he's been living for the Lord, and now the Lord gives him this dream. He is an Israelite in a land that's not his own in Babylon. He is in exile, and he has this dream. He has this dream here. He has this dream where he's in the midst and in these, in these four four beasts come out of nowhere. And one is, 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 like, you know how dreams are. One, he's trying to describe it, but when you try to describe a dream and you're trying to describe the images, sometimes it's hard to do, so you just kind of go with what you got. And so Daniel says, one, one came out and it was like a lion, but... But it had wings of an eagle, and it had a mind of a man. And then this other one came out, and it was, it was a bear. And he, he was more ferocious than the other one. And he had ribs in his mouth, and he was, it was told, devour all this flesh. And then you had this other one, and it was like a leopard. But this, this leopard, it was different because it had four heads, and it had eagle's wings. And, and then there was this, this other monster, this other beast. And it was, it was more ferocious than anything. And Daniel doesn't even give it a description from any other animal. He just says it's, it's terrible. And it was worse than all the other beasts. And this beast devours, and what it didn't devour, it would just trample on. This thing is a bad mamma jamma, okay? And it's coming in, and these beasts are here. And it's devouring. And then this beast has the audacity to speak. And it sees what it's done is devour all these things and it starts to speak boastfully. And it speaks so boastfully that it speaks against the Most High God. And after Daniel describes this beast, the, the dream continues and we see God on the courtroom and he's in the divine judgment seat. And it tells us that there are thrones. And one place is the throne of God. And then there's this empty throne that we don't even really hear about. And it tells us that the beast, the fourth beast, is killed and destroyed by fire. And the three beasts, their dominion is taken away, uh, but they're spared for a season. Amen. Hey, we can go home now, right? (laughs) That was so encouraging when Luke told us about the beast. What is this talking about? Right? Right? Well, later in this chapter, Daniel is given an interpretation of what these beasts represent. And each beast represents a different kingdom. Each beast represents a different king and a different kingdom. And one is real bad and it's trampling on the people of God and another one will come and they will devour and take and another comes and, it, and then there's this one and it's worse than all the others and it just completely overthrows and it takes and it is so boastful that it, that it talks against God himself. And then there's a time of judgment and it says that there are thrones that are set up And in this judgment, God destroys the beast. He takes away the dominion of the other beast. And if we're following this story closely, I had to read this like two or three, four or five. I had to read this a lot because it's so, I'm not used to reading that kind of stuff, right? But what we'll notice is that the beast had dominion in this world, but they were ultimately defeated. And if they were defeated then somebody had to take their authority. And when God came into the scene, into the judgment scene, it said that they set up thrones. Thrones. More than one. But we're only told that God took his seat, so there's an empty throne there. And And if the beast... If the beasts don't have this authority and the, the dominion has been taken away and there's an, there's an empty throne here, then, then who belongs on the throne? Oh, now you see where we're going. And we read this in Daniel chapter 7. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that the people... Oh, me. All right, this is Daniel. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancients of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, Or worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom was one that will not be destroyed. There are these beasts in the world, and they are running rampant. And they're trampling over every good thing, and it is larger beast, and he does worse than all the others, and he's so bad that he speaks against the Lord Almighty. And God says, "Let's set up the thrones." Boom, boom, empty one here. He says to the beast, "You're destroyed." Destroys the worst beast. He gives the dominion away, takes it away from the other three beasts. And now, what does he do? One like the Son of Man is presented to him, and he says, "Come." sit at my throne my Lord said to my Lord be seated at my right hand when Jesus speaks about these things that's what he's talking about When the high priest asked Jesus if he was the Christ, the son of of the blessed, Jesus gives him the answer that blew him out of the water. Jesus in effect says, yes, I'm the Messiah. I am the son of God. In fact, I am the one who is going to be seated at the right hand of God. When all the dominions and the powers are taken away from the beast and the beast is destroyed, I'm the one who's going to be seated at the right hand of God. Rage. (laughs) He gets angry. Do we see now why the priest tore his clothes? Because Jesus' claim is so huge. He is not just claiming he's another king. He is claiming divinity. And do we now understand why this phrase should cause us to be in awe? Because it's true. This is the Jesus that we serve. But how? How did this take place? Jesus actually told those accusing him that they themselves would see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He was saying, you guys... You, the priests, the elders, the scribes, all those bringing accusations on him that you will see the Son of Man. Not in the future. This isn't the return of Jesus, the thing that we're waiting for. He is saying this is about to take place and you guys are going to see it with your very eyes where do we actually see Jesus taking his throne where do we see the dominion of evil taken away where do we see the beast destroyed we see it at the cross When Jesus himself is nailed there for your sin and my sin and the dominions and the powers of these things are trampling over us, Jesus says, no, not today. They are done and I am on the throne and I am dead and here I am taking on this evil and it is no more. This is what Jesus does. His throne is the cross the dominions, the evil, the powers are taken away and they're dethroned at the cross. The judgment of our sin and the sin of this world is taken away there at the cross. That's where Jesus, God poured out his judgment and it was on Jesus. At the cross we see the great reversal at the cross, it looks like the guilty had destroyed the innocent, but Jesus on the cross was able to make the guilty innocent. At the cross, it looks like evil had defeated Jesus by his death, but through Jesus' death on the cross, he had defeated evil. As one pastor said, for Jesus, the cross is his throne. His execution was his exaltation. And the Apostle Paul says it like this. God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Listen to this. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them by the cross. And I was thinking, how how do I end this sermon? And I was going to ask, how does this how does this truth apply to my life? That was a question I was going to ask. Well, how does this how does this truth apply to my life? What a me focused question. What I have talked about today is the truth. And we ask these questions like, well, how does the truth apply to my life? Like, truth will conform to your life. No, truth doesn't conform to your life. Your life should conform to the truth. What truth have we learned? We learn that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, that he is the king of kings, that Jesus is the Son of Man, that Daniel had prophesied about so long ago, that God had defeated the evil powers, made a spectacle of them, when through Jesus' death on the cross. But Jesus' death was not the last word. Spoiler alert, two weeks from now you're going to learn that he rose from the dead. And after he rises from the dead, what does he say? Remember what we heard in the book of Daniel that that this kingdom is going to be an everlasting kingdom, that his dominion will never be taken away, that they will have all authority. Then we come to the end of Matthew, and what does he say? Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I have the worship team come up here. And everybody can stand. The thing about the kingdom of God is it's, it's now, but it's not yet. It's established, but it hasn't fully come. And how do I know this? Because we still see evil in this world. And much like Daniel, we are confronted with this beast day after day. And the beast has been defeated. It says its dominion was, they were still alive. The beast is still wild, wild and free. And we see the beast in a world through war and starvation and it's trampling on different countries and it's doing its best to devour We see the beast in the pornography industry and the sex trafficking, and we see it, and it's destroying. And we see it in different societies and governments trying to take over and become more and more powerful, and it's just trampling over it. And then we got to look into ourselves and say, hold on, the beast isn't just trampling me, but the beast is within me. Every time that I... Looked at somebody lustfully. I'm just trampling over them every time that I don't forgive somebody for something that happened four years ago, five years ago, six years ago. I'm trampling on them every time that we don't allow God to break in. The beast is within us. It's called sin. And guess what? We can't defeat sin. On our own. They were looking for a king. They were waiting for a Messiah. You know about the thing about the kings of Israel? Was you'd have a good one every once in a while. King David was said to be a man after God's own heart, but he fell into sin. Another king would rise up and they would fall into sin. Another king would rise up, fall into sin. Another king would rise up, fall into sin. We as humans cannot defeat the beast but there is one who has and his name is Jesus. Are you being trampled? Has somebody done something wrong to you? And you feel like they're just trying to devour you, trample you, and the beast is trying to get to you. You can't defeat it on your own. You have to go to the one who's seated at the right hand of God. Do you see the beast within you? through that addiction, through whatever it may be, that it's within you. You can't defeat it on your own. You're not good enough. You never will be. You're going to have to go to the one who took his throne on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And then he rose back from the dead and that life that he gave is able to be in every single one of us. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is able to live within us. Come to the altar. If you feel like God is speaking to you about something where you want to confront this beast, whether it's a beast that's trampling on you or it's a beast within you, you're not going to do it on your own. You have to come to Jesus.